Good morning, golfers. Welcome to On Par with Anthony Scorcher. Thank you for joining us on this little cool October 23rd. 2021 pleased to have in studio you know i normally just say the uh, co-owner of pete's golf shop but now i have to say the reigning club champion at wheatley golf club woody lashin how you doing buddy i'm doing great man you still reveling in your uh in your uh, in championship that's pretty cool yeah it's pretty awesome cool. man i know i'm giving you a hard time but um it must have been a fun day for you it was a fun three weeks yeah fun three weeks Tough. i mean you've been a member there for a long time you played in a lot of eight seasons 28 seasons. 28 seasons, never won. Never won. That was amazing. What do you think was the difference for you this year than, let's say, in the past? You know, I always say when I was a young guy, I, I can't tell you how many times I'm playing really good. I, I don't know if it was a zero or plus one. And I ran into some old guy that just, you know, was a buzzsaw shooting par or under par against me. And I'm like, how does this happen? Yeah. <laughs> and, and this year, I'm the old guy, and that's what I was doing. <laughs> right. Yeah, a lot of it, you know, I mean, you, you obviously played smart, you know, and, and you know, you're a seasoned golfer, and you played within yourself, and seemed like uh, it all came together for you. Just, just, just my time. Very, very lucky and happy. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure the membership was pretty thrilled for you. They, you've been around there a long time, like you said, almost 30 years. Uh, it's, it, it, it's a pretty special. It was, uh, it was a pretty cool, pretty cool yeah. feeling, pretty cool. Walk around the clubhouse and, hey, champ, hey, champ. I, I, I enjoy that. <laughs> <laughs> and for those listening, for the you know, if you don't know, like Wheatley's probably, if, you know, maybe, uh, you know, I'll, so let's say I don't know the statistics, but I know it's one of the, the lowest handicap memberships on Long Island. I don't know where it ranks, but it's got to be at the top. Let's put uh, it down. There's 116 guys under 10. Yeah. So there you go. That's a lot. Um, is it? Do we know how how where it is in terms of? They don't really publish that kind no, of stuff, no, but no. but it's definitely. I mean, that's got, a pretty large guy number. Guy beating the files, Nick DeMeo. He's won the Richardson. Yep, but, I know. So I need to know. Yep, exactly. He's a great exactly. guy, and my time. Yep, good stuff. All right, we got a great show. We have uh, uh, Mike Statura, the Golf Digest equipment guru, who's on the line waiting for us. But we're going to take a short break. First, a word from our sponsors. You're listening to On Paul with Anthony Scorch. Golf. Since 1979, Pete's Golf has been practicing the art of club fitting and has been selected as a top 100 club fitter by Golf Digest magazine. At Pete's Golf, we use the best technology available to create an exceptional fitting experience for every customer that walks into our store. Visit Pete'sGolf.com or call 516-248-6891. That's 516-248-6891 and get your next set of clubs fit for you. Golf course superintendents are the unsung heroes of our great game. Due to the game's efforts, we now have turf that needs less water, courses that are more sustainable, with many now offering natural wildlife habitats. From the days of old Tom Morris, golf course superintendents have given golfers a reason to love this great game. But don't take my word for it, Jack Nicholas agrees. If you love golf like I do, thank a golf course superintendent. A message from the Golf Course Superintendents Association of America and local superintendents everywhere. Hey everyone, this is Chris Fochelle with Mizuno. There's no better feeling than having your clubs perfectly dialed in, and with over 2,000 authorized performance fitting partners nationwide, it couldn't be any easier to get custom fit using Mizuno's revolutionary Shaft Optimizer 3D. Find the right shaft and match it with any of our legendary grain flow forgings or our award-winning hot metal irons featuring high-strength chromoly. Visit MizunoGolf.com to find the nearest authorized fitter in your area, and remember, nothing feels like a Mizuno. 
All right, and welcome back to On Par with Anthony Scorcia. Pleased to have Woody Lashin in studio. And on the line is Golf Digest equipment guru, Mike Strachora. Mike, how are you doing this morning? Great, Anthony. I didn't realize I was also in the presence of royalty this morning. Congratulations, <laughs> Woody. <laughs> Legend in my own mind. That's, that's, that's where we have to start, right? That's where we have to start. That's right. Um, Mike, you know, it's sort of a, an interesting year for you. Uh, I can't imagine what it's been like as the equipment person, uh, given the, the events in the last year. Let's start with, unless you've been uh, living in a bubble, you're uh, well aware of the supply chain that's affected every industry in the world. Talk to us two things about the supply chain. One, how bad did it really get? And two, how, where do you see, when do you sort of foresee it sort of uh, a return to normalcy? Well, you're right, Anthony. It's it's been a, a a really strange year, and and I think obviously it goes back to last year. Uh, the, the problem is the golf industry had become very very efficient in terms of managing inventory, and you know you didn't see 12 months of inventory uh, stocking up in in retail stores and just sitting there. It, it was very efficient. Uh, turnaround times were were less than a week, in many cases, sometimes 48 hours. Well, <clears throat> the pandemic hits, and literally grips and shafts stop productions because companies immediately cut orders. And, and you know, once a big operation like a shaft manufacturer or a grip manufacturer, or re <clears throat> really the components for a golf ball, once that stops, it's not like you just flick the switch back on and the whole thing starts going again. So you were in some cases two to six months before uh, the, grip, the grip industry or the shaft industry was back operating at full capacity. Well, you all know that while golf sort of uh, had a slow start, once it started after maybe three to six weeks, uh, once the pandemic hit, it roared back, and as people came, new people came to the game, and old golfers wanted to upgrade their equipment. The demand shot through the roof. I mean, 2020 was one of the best years, and 2021 really continued that trend. Well, the the guts of the industry, the manufacturing side of it, just continued to fall behind because they were this, in essence, two or three months behind always, and. And then that was in, in sort of normal conditions, and they had accelerated conditions, and so they got further and further behind. Uh, I've, I've talked to, to uh, guys in Woody's business and, and others in retail where in 2019, the average uh, wait time for a set of irons was about eight days. And in, in 2021, it was almost 60. Wow. And that's... That's fortunate. And so yeah, right. In some cases, there were there were orders that were made in January of this year, and the latest that we've heard is some of those orders are not going to be filled until February of next year. That's unbelievable. And, you know, so it, and it's it's really a case of of how things are lined up in the production cycle, and and okay, I ordered something in. in at this point, well, they have the new stuff, but I ordered an old thing, and so that's in the back of the line, and 
and it's it's really also haphazard. So, like, they might have lots of R shafts, but they don't have any S shafts. So your buddy who ordered a, a driver with an R shaft, he gets his in a week. You're waiting, you know, three, four, six, eight weeks because they're, the S shafts just haven't come in. So it's, it's nobody's getting anything in a week, situation. Mike. <laughs> What's that, Woody? Nobody's getting anything in a week. Yeah, right. All right. No yeah. chance. Well, you know, I, I, I don't know that we're, well, I don't want to talk about nobody getting anything in a week, uh, Woody. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, um, the the question is, uh, well, is it going to get better? And I think selectively it's gotten better in some instances. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I think the, the, sh- the shaft business is is getting better uh i think the the grip business is still maybe a little behind but but getting better and i think it really uh it sort of ultimately depends on where demand goes uh in 2022 uh whether golfers were were scared about wait times and and sort of back off on on uh purchasing or or you know the start of 2022 is is again slowed down for other reasons, but mm-hmm. you know I think I think the the worst of it is over. But the, there are there are problems overseas. Obviously, you know you have uh, countries like Vietnam, which are a big part of the golf industry now. Uh, major companies are doing a lot of their premium lines in in Vietnam on the iron side. Anyway, you know if if the pandemic roars up again, those factories just shut down, and, and so. Again, it's not like they're slowing down. There's just nothing happening at the factory level. And, you know, like my mom used to say, you, you can't make chicken soup if you don't have any chickens. Sure. You know, I find it interesting is a lot of people really don't understand um, – the manufacturing end of, of golf equipment. And, and just for uh, an interesting, a specific example that I found interesting in understanding all this as it's, as it's transpired is the integration of the industry with other industries. And like, for example, the shafts and the idea of having um, people not understanding that um, the layer of chrome that goes on a shaft that's that that gets done at a different plant and not being able to get that done it may be done at a um, an auto uh, uh, plant uh, as opposed to what you might imagine would be a strictly a manufacturing plant for golf shafts um, and and so the integration problems amongst uh, in the in the field of manufacturing for for golf shafts uh, to me was a spe- uh, specific instance that I didn't know about and I'm sure the 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 regular public doesn't is not a Aware of well I mean it's so uh, like you said interconnected and and there are parts where somebody's doing one thing and another person is doing doing another thing mm-hmm. like a golf ball uh, some of the ingredients in a golf ball were tied to the the petroleum industry in Texas and when there was the big freeze in Texas a lot of those industries uh, had had to shut down plants and factories, and and so that slowed production. And golf is just one industry that's using these these chemicals. Well, right. golf went to the back of the line because they get it at a lower price, and other industries are willing to, willing to pay a higher price. I've heard that uh, one of the key components of lipstick is also a key element in in golf balls, huh. and and the, the lipstick industry 
likes to pay a higher price than golf. So there's there's more interest from the manufacturing of that chemical in the lipstick industry than there is golf. And I guess there are more people who wear lipstick than uh, buy golf balls. I know it's shocking. <laughs> <laughs> oh, lipstick is killing my golf balls. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> who would have known? <laughs> um I, I'm, I'm curious, to Mike, what do you think as far as, so we, got, we know the supply chain is bad, but as far as the, the demand of, um, de, you know, golfers' demand, obviously demand was through the roof this year. Um, do, do you foresee that, that the, the golfers um, next year coming back in, in, in the same amount, more or less? What, what do you, what, what kind of your, your feel for the participation in golf? I, I mean, I think it's it's been... Uh, it's the da- data shows that it's been better participation rate on average compared to the sort of stretch from the let's say 2010 to 2019. Uh, I think it's definitely softened uh, sort of the latter half of this year to a what would still be called a high level. But let's remember that one of the reasons that golf has uh, sort of elevated in interest level is that it was for many months almost more than a year the only game in town and and not just for for golfers or or aspiring golfers but for families and for kids and as kids activities as school and that sort of existence went back to normal uh as businesses kind of reopened and and the workday continued to be uh, something more similar to what happened before the pandemic. There's there's been sort of uh, a, a return to you know what what the National Golf Foundation calls the old normal, which was when golf was uh, sort of popular. Uh, it's it's part of more more of the national conversation. Uh, it's gotten publicity from non-golf sources, you know, in in media. So I think golf is is part of the lexicon, and I think the 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 question going forward is what has golf, what have uh, golf course operators and and country clubs done to embrace the new interest in golf, so that it's not just oh okay I'm going to go back to the things I was doing before I got interested in golf, and and I think that's you know, you go go up and down the line. Every level of country club has seen huge increases in numbers. I, I, I know. Uh, I mean, there, there's there are nine hole private clubs in Connecticut that have seen 50, 60 new members in in the past year, and that's probably double and triple and quadruple the number number of new members they would see in a, in a normal year. So I think that's. That's the question. You've got all these new golfers or these people who are joining clubs. What is sort of happening at the individual local level to continue their interest in the game? But I'm I'm telling you, I, I, I play a lot of golf at a public course five minutes from my house, and the parking lot's full at 6 o'clock on a Saturday evening still. Yeah, that was my question. Do you th- do you think that? Um, and you 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 mentioned it briefly. Do you think that they can capitalize? Is the is the golf industry finally? I mean, this is not their first uh, rodeo when it comes to a sort of boon. Um, are they going to be able to capitalize on this new interest or this revived interest in golf? 
I think they are in a sense because they were presented with a whole bunch of new golfers coming to the game, and in the in the past there there were impediments or there was sort of a, a, a routine that you had to have to even get on a golf course. Now they were just happy to take anybody to come and play, and and you know I, I think that the I, actually the real challenge is sort of maintaining the enthusiasm of traditional golfers who essentially ruled the golf course themselves, whether it's a public course or a private course, and all of a sudden, you know, you have big-time private clubs accepting or having to have tee times for their members just to get through a Saturday or Sunday morning. So I think that's the... That's the interesting challenge, um, you know. And I, I think that there was also another element to this. Like I said, they're, they they were just at the public level. They were just happy to have the cash registering, and then it was ringing beyond their capabilities. And I think there are there are secret problems that we all know about in terms of workforce. Sure. So whether it's uh, you know wait staff at, at a, a private club or uh, you know the the greens and grounds and greens staff at a at a public course getting people to to do those jobs and and make the golf course and the golf club uh, a better situation those are those are challenges for the industry right now that uh, you know we're going to have to see how those materialize but i think from an interest level from the pure hey i think golf is fun I think golf's in the best place it's ever been, and you can certainly point to things like Top Golf and, and other, you know, things at the junior level that just create interest. And, and if you get the kids interested, the parents are coming along for the ride, whether they want to or not. So uh, I, I, I want to change the topic a little bit to your favorite subject, the uh, the hot list. The hot list. Yes, yes the hot list. Um, I know that you're you're uh, you're headed out tomorrow to start uh, start your testing. Um, I, I I I think our, our our listener would love to hear just a little bit scenario of what you actually guys do to go through to develop the hot list. How how in depth it really is. Well, I mean, it is. It's it, it gets a lot of attention for our, our testing process, but. You know, we've been meeting with manufacturers since uh, since early June about their new products for 2022, and and you know those are pretty intense sessions. That we have a team of uh, scientists that that uh, sit in on those sessions with manufacturers and you know virtual Zoom calls, uh, getting the rundown from from engineers and. And trying to decide, hey, this is significant, and and well, why did you do this, and why did you change that? So that's been part of what we've been doing since June. Uh, we've been taking uh, nominations from every level of manufacturer since uh, the summer, and, and kind of getting our working list that uh, is close to 300, 300 clubs across our our whole range of uh, categories, from drivers to woods, hybrids, irons, wedges, and putters. And uh, all those nominated clubs are being shipped to our uh, testing location at the Casablanca Resort in Mesquite, Nevada. Uh, we're going to spend two weeks out there uh, doing our own individual testing, and then we bring in uh, about 25 players 
to uh, essentially run through every category, and, and uh, we've got uh, every, every uh, twosome of players is paired with an editor throughout the entire process, and that editor is interviewing that player and, and getting their scores and, and getting, once they finish an entire category, okay, which of those clubs should be in your top five. And then uh, we sort of process all that data. I mean, we've got uh, <clears throat> auction. I have two launch monitors at every station, and uh, we'll look at all that data. We'll look at what the scientists say. <clears throat> we'll, uh, you know, yell at each other for a few <laughs> weeks in a room and uh, and try to say, okay, we think these are the most significant products, and uh, uh, we have four criteria: performance. Uh, innovation, look, sound, and feel, and demand, and they're all sort of weighted uh, uh, in, in different amounts, but the heavy weighting is on performance, innovation, and look, sound, and feel. And, and there we sort of produce a list. And then after you produce the list, you got to produce uh, a version that goes in Golf Digest, a version that goes in a, in a special issue that's uh, available that's totally devoted to equipment and then obviously online so it's a uh if we sort of start in uh, in in may or june we usually finish in february so it's a it's an extensive process I, I can't imagine how extensive that process is, you know, especially, and I was just thinking while you were talking about how, you know, golf is such a feel thing. So, you know, I have my, if I'm a golf, uh, if I'm testing for you, for your hot list, if I'm one of those people, you know, I have the clubs that I normally play with. And, you know, you talk about feel of a new club and that you're testing. It's not necessarily, you know, that's based on my previous experience. And then you have to sort of, um, you know, I guess uh, deconstruct that feeling that they're having and then uh, and that's got I, I'm assuming that's part of the argument right uh, you know because I have what I'm used to and then you're giving me something different but I'm, it's all my feeling is only relative to what I've used may not be sort of indicative of what it's really doing well and I mean I think that's one of the benefits of having the GC quad launch monitors and right. the launch monitors on site to give uh, people perspective but you know, we have a pretty extensive guide that we give each of our <laughs> analysts to um, sort of break down what is exceptional. And, and so we have a five-point scoring system, and we give them a pretty elaborate explanation of what a five is and what a four is and what a three is. And it's really about uh, feelings in terms of, you know, yeah, you can look at distances, but you know how far you hit a seven iron, and you know how far the seven iron is going because you're you're looking at at the machine that's telling you that information. But at, at the end of the day, we think it's so much more important that uh, a golf club resonates with a player, and it con and it consistently resonates with a group of players, and that's what we're trying to get at. Okay, is, is this club sort of shifting the paradigm? with a group of players and it, you know it's not an easy job to be a golf digest hot list tester you you develop a, a certain armor you know you you aren't blown away immediately you sort of trust but verify and continue to verify and, and then okay this is what i really think about this club and then you go back and you've hit 12 or 14 seven irons and then you go back and say okay let me hit this one that i really like that was the third seven iron I hit. Mm -hmm. And so it's, it's pretty intense, 
And I, I think what what people don't realize about our panelists is that they can't get enough of it. And I think that's what that's what you want is as your judge is somebody who you know I, I tell people it's like you're you're testing 30 versions of vanilla ice cream <laughs> well if you don't love ice cream you're you're out after three i would love these to be guys, a hot, these guys I, want 60. i i would love to be a, a a golf digest tester but i'm so glad i'm not because i can't be exposed to that kind of uh, inventory <laughs> i just i would lose my mind lefties lefties <laughs> easy on the lefties there <laughs> <laughs> Woody, I knew you had some. I'm, I'm sure. I'm sure Mike has enough problems <laughs> with the righties. <laughs> throw that lefty. We in don't there. need another lefty. Gotcha. Uh, um, you know, to to me, the thing that I I I I think that most people don't necessarily always get from from reading is the, is the independence upon which you go about this this lot list project, where it's it's totally brand agnostic. You don't care what brand it is if it's better. Um, and you feel that it, it's it's the best. You're going to say it's the best, and if it's not, it doesn't matter what brand it is. Um, it's something that you know I've always tried to do in my business, you know, very much. But I I don't know if the average reader gets how independent it is and how much flack that you get <laughs> from companies when stuff that they think should be you know, number one is is not number one, and obviously they can only be number one, one number one. So. No, and I mean it's it's, it's a, a big part of uh, our our mission is uh, we want to be helpful to the reader and we want to be true to ourselves. Yeah, we want to be fair to the industry. And yes, big companies do well on the hot list. Well, they have huge R and D departments, and and that's uh, a big part of how you raise the bar is that you you discover something new. But by the same token. If there's a company out there that's that's making a, a really solid uh, forged iron that takes the time to craft it well, we're going to give them an opportunity to compete with the with the bigger clubs. We don't care, you know, who advertises, who doesn't advertise. We we probably lost you know twelve to fifteen million dollars in in sort of expected advertising revenue because of the results of the hot list. That's I am so fortunate to work for a company that that uh, says, hey, go do what you do. We'll, we'll deal with the business ramifications at another, another point in time. Uh, I, am, I am committed to that. So, you know, if, if I'm saying there's a company like Avian or Haywood or, or, you know, we've had small putter companies like Low Tide and, and companies that, in essence, might be working out of their garage. Mm-hmm. But again, if they make something exceptional, if they present their case uh, from a innovation standpoint that uh, makes us think differently, you know, Sick Golf is not a huge company. We think they they have done some interesting things in putters, and they make great great products. So that that is not you know we're not uh, seeing the pages of Golf Digest filled up with advertisements from sick golf or haywood or or any of these small companies and and, you know that's that's our job to go out and and find things that maybe haven't been got you know haven't aren't getting the most attention sure sure. i think that's that's our responsibility like i i I think we could talk to you forever but we're unfortunate we're out of time here yeah Um, we can't can't thank you enough for coming on 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 the show it's always great to hear from you and hopefully we'll have you back on again next season 
I don't know anybody else who could take us from lips to petroleum to <laughs> lipstick to golf ball. So, um, and we didn't even get to driver length. I don't even know if there's any connection there. But, uh, Mike, thank you so much again. As Woody said, uh, a pleasure to have you on the program. Love it anytime, guys. All right, thank you. Have a great day. All right, that was Mike Stachura. Uh, Woody, um, first of all, you know, above everything else, thank you for your friendship and for your long-standing uh, support for the program. Thank you to Beth Page and Kelly for providing us with the, this beautiful opportunity uh, for it to be live at Beth Page uh, State Park. Uh, always a pleasure to have you and, a, and another great year. Thank you. Spectacular as always. Look All forward right. to next year. All right, folks, that's it for this week. You're listening to On Par with Anthony Scorcher.